cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 9th, 2009. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. That's my website. Scroll down the front page, you'll see a lot of other sites I have up there. Alternate sites are very good to have in my particular line because sometimes the big servers just pull me down for two or three weeks for no reason whatsoever. They can't figure out the problems for about two or three weeks at a stretch. So if you have the these other ones bookmarked, you can pull them up and get the latest shows and download them for free. There's cuttingthrough.jenkins.com. You'll see that on the front page of the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. There's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. There's Alan Watts, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, and Alan Watts, sentinel.eu. The last one is the European site has the same audios as the rest, but it has the addition of transcripts of some of these audios written in the various languages of Europe for download and print up. And you can read them at your leisure. Now, remember, too, uh, I don't get financed by any corporations. I'm not into a business here, and I don't have any foundations or NGOs backing me up and all that kind of stuff. I'm not uh, an NGO myself. And it's up to you to keep me going. Therefore, you have to support me by uh, sending a few pennies here this way once in a while and you can do it by going to the website and seeing that for which I have for sale on the website uh, there's books and discs and so on I'd have a lot more churned out if it wasn't for what I'm doing here it's not just one hour per day talking on the radio uh, that takes my time up this is a literally a full time occupation uh, weekends as well so it's up to you to keep me going and you can purchase those or you can donate by personal check for the U.S. and Canada, uh, international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada if you don't have a bank account. Um, PayPal is fine. PayPal you can order with as well. And outside the Americas, you can use MoneyGram, Western Union, PayPal, and some people just send cash. They cut out the guy with the triple chins uh, that always says he's broke. And for those who get the disc burned and passed to them to play on their CD players who don't have computers, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada, and the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, the number 1, P-3-E-4-N-1. And I'm serious, you really have to help me out with the donations. It's always the same people who help out uh, every month or so. And there's a lot more to, to buy here. I don't get paid by the advertisers either. That's generally how hosts get paid. Uh, the advertisers direct, deal directly with RBN. They pay for this airtime. They pay for the station's time. They pay for their staff and their technicians, their bills, and all the rest of the stuff. So it's up to you to, to uh, throw a few pennies this way once in a while to keep me 
business. It's not. I'm not definitely not in it for the money. It's far from that. Uh, in fact, you, you end up putting a lot more, more of your money into it to keep it going. This is a time of the greatest change in history. It's a time that most people are oblivious as to the reasons why we're going through the changes. Uh, they're not happenstance. There's a coordinated world system coming in, planned an awful long time ago. It's not a utopia. It's a, a horror show, but they call it historical necessity to bring down the populations into a state of poverty as they go through the changes into the next phase. Back with more after this break. through the matrix. It's astonishing truly to talk to people who are utterly naive about what's happening in the world. They, they really do believe that what the media gives them, mainstream media, and especially what the television gives them. The TV has been the greatest tool, really, right up to the present time, for indoctrination into a fake reality. Uh, as I said before, uh, Jack C. Lowell, who was a uh, an in-depth uh, philosopher on so many topics went into law and order and he also went into propaganda and he said that everything on television and even that which is in the major novels and he knew this then that they were getting grants to do this kind of stuff from governments and, and big foundations he said it's all propaganda to give you a fake version of what authorities especially are all about and in my lifetime I have seen the medical uh, services uh, true to what Lenin said uh, all these services become authorities I've seen the medical service become an authority as it was designed to do and it's been through prim primarily propaganda and lots of movies and television drama series all fictional to give you a, a different impression of what it's all about to make you really trust them and believe in everything that you hear about them that's how you create a fake image. Same with law enforcement. Uh, he all went through the legal system and the propaganda to do with that. He said every detective story, and, and so many of them in drama stories and movies are about that. And the, the detective gets on the trail of the, this awful bad person and goes through hell and high water to get the bad guy. But on, on the roads, you're being totally programmed with a fake version of what policing is all about. Because policing really is there to maintain the established governmental order. And that they're there to watch everyone out there, you, not the, the guy who's off chasing the children. The people who chase children end up famous and in charge of cultural departments of countries and stuff like that. That's what it's really about. It's, it's a fake version of everything. And it's run by very clever people who understand how to be streetwise. Streetwise people, even with no education or very little, can see through the cons at the top very, very quickly. They understand them intuitively, and they can cut to the chase. With a, a domesticated people who have been trained in scientific indoctrination and incredible propaganda, it's almost impossible for them to break through into reality and say, my God, the world really does stink, and these creeps at the top really are all corrupt and devious. And that's what they are. Under the mask of respectability, especially the suit and tie, uh, you'll find far more dictator types and psychopaths than any tyrant I've given you 
in the 20th century that wears a uniform. And they get away with much more, too. But the pharma companies have their own techniques as well. And pharmacology is a very important part of all of this. I think it was in that THX movie that Duval was in, that uh, Rose One producer up to stardom out of nowhere, because it was designed that way. He showed you a vision of the future where everyone would be forcefully drugged and working in a sort of zombified state with regular multiple daily testing to see if you're taking all the right drugs. That wasn't speculation. It wasn't written by someone who was just coming up with a good idea and had a great imagination. You find predictive programming that comes through science fiction and through the future of society where the big foundations pick certain authors, give them a basic line they want to put in their story, and wrap a story around it. The, the story around it is just for you to swallow it. It's all a debate, basically, to get the hook in you. And that's how your opinions are formed. I talked before about the Huxleys and how it's so important you have to go in, it is to read the books by the Huxleys, uh, and people who are up in world uh, positions of international meetings with experts of their day. The same agenda types, the same agenda, in fact, was going on way back then as it is today, step by step, sometimes Fabian, mainly Fabian, to alter the behavior and destroy the cultures of the people and get to accept new cultures. And it was also, and sometimes they speeded up once in a while with a, a, a man-made crisis of some kind or another. But the goal has always been the same. And, and I was just thinking just before the show came on of this quote from Aldo Huxley from 1949. Now remember, he wrote Brave New World back in the 30s. I think it was 1933, uh, where he gave us the whole predictive programming of the agenda where they eventually would go through into genetic engineering before anybody had, had found the genes, by the way. You know, this was published in his novel, Bob Book. And he talked about creating special types of humans for specialized jobs, exactly along the, the, the Plato's Republic idea. He suggested that thousands of years ago. And you have to go into the Huxley's lineage to see that they were always part of this inter-century type of system of altering in a certain direction, the world into a certain plan, along this plan, this route. He didn't have a great imagination either. And he, I've gone through his brother, uh, Julian Huxley, as well, and how they both came from uh, Sir Thomas Huxley, who was the best pal of Charles Darwin. They were all, actually, they actually they're all related to each other. All these famous players at the top are related to each other. And they're given a completely different education than we are, or anyone else's. And once in a while they're allowed to come out into the public limelight and say something, which is also, in a sense, a form of legalism. They, they're, they're, they're legalizing something by print. Now, well, now you know, now you can't say you didn't know. And if you do nothing about it, you've acquiesced by your silence in a legal fashion to what they're bringing forward. And this is the guy who spoke at all the big Ivy League universities across the world. He said, in 1949, he says, within the next generation, I believe that the world leaders will discover that infant, infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis. Now, he said, coupling a form of indo 
indoctrination, like mind control indoctrination through psychology and hypnosis and suggestion, and coupled with pharmacy drugs, uh, would be more efficient. So he called it uh, infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people, that means uh, suggestibility, using forms of hypnosis, advertising, you might say, propaganda, into loving their servitude as by flogging them and kicking them into obedience. In other words, I feel that the nightmare of 1984, Orwell's book, is destined to modulate. He doesn't deny it will not go into that before it goes into his phase. But he says, the nightmare of 1984 is destined to modulate change into the nightmare of a world having more resemblance to that which I imagined in Brave New Worlds. Now, he also goes on about loving your, your servitude, how to teach you to love your servitude, and much, much more. But this technique, as I say, is, is, it's everywhere. It's our whole, we, we are products of indoctrination without knowing it. Most folk don't know it. There's a step-by-step with every generation, and, and it's almost every two, three years, maybe every, every two years, there's major changes that you must accept through political correctness. You must, if you want to be part of the crowd, you must be politically correct. They used this during the Soviet system, and we're now in the new world Soviet system on steroids. They've ironed out all the bugs that they had and all the problems, and they're using all the psychologies, drugs, and everything else to bring this all about. And I was thinking about the mandating, you see, of inoculations, for instance, this is to get you on one level uh, to have cancers down the road and stuff like that. It's been proven with all data up to date for sure. Now they admit they're even growing the viruses on cancerous tissue because they say it's more efficient for growing the viruses. That then gets mushed up into, uh, into a liquid and injected into you. But anyway, to give pharma with government, remember, in bed together, completely in bed together, because we're in the age of corporate uh, um, feudalism, basically. Corporate feudalism, as Professor Carl Quigley called it. He said, he said that the new overlords will be the, the CEOs of corporations who are in and out of governments and back into their corporations. That's why we've had that for years. But you see, if they mandate that you must take something from pharma, and remember too, they talk about world peace all the time too. For world meetings about bringing world peace. That means depopulation, stopping all forms of aggression and conflict, right down to the family, right down to male and female, and all things in between. All have to be eliminated, all those things. That's all part of what they mean by world peace. But they also talk about drugging the people. Now, you give them a precedent where they can inject stuff into you for one thing. Well, I can guarantee you, I guarantee you, that within the next two or three years, if this can be done, pulled off here, guarantee you that everyone will be on some kind of tranquilizer, some happy pills, mandated by government for world peace, you understand. Because in those days, because there's so much terrorism, there's so much uh, unsettlement in today's terrible economic system and worry that is to keep everybody peaceful and, and happy uh, for a peaceful world as we go through these big transitions and get back on our feet and all that kind of stuff. I guarantee you. Now, they're already drugging so many boys now in school, have been for years, and I've read the data on that, and who pushed it, who was paid by pharma to push it, by the way, 
and got it through Congress from the U.S. and different countries. Now, let's go back to this flumus. Remember, part of it is depopulation as well. And how you depopulate? Well, you don't want to kill everybody off at the same time. It would be rather obvious, wouldn't it? You do it, as they've been doing it already, but step it up a little bit more. And since the 50s onwards, not just autism, but all kinds of cancers have just skyrocketed through the roof. It's all a big mystery, and no one seems to be taking the mystery terribly seriously. Back with more after this break. through the matrix it's talking about how incredible cancers have skyrocketed since about 1950 onwards and they're increasing all the time so much so that even surgeons run out of names to call the new types that they see all the time they crop up uh, pretty well daily and uh, it's from very young to, the, to, to right through all the different age groups uh, cancers that really were, were so darn rare at one time many of them didn't exist in fact but so, some of them were so rare that um, uh, they were hardly worth the mentioning in some medical books not so long ago. Now it's just normal. And, and, and youngsters coming out of medical college today are taught that, that this is all quite normal. And they take it for all for granted and, and don't think any further on it. That's why it's quite so great to have universities. We can upgrade uh, those the professionals who are getting churned out too, just like the generations that Lenin talked about and Beery and different ones, how they can indoctrinate them and upgrade them. Uh, every few years, they've got a whole new take on, on the past and history and medical history, and even to do with uh, how, how viruses live and all the rest of it. Completely different. And they have no idea that the older doctors are, are running on, on the past program, a different program. All from central control. That's why you always have a central control with education, medical authorities, and police and military. Is what, is what Stalin said too. You know, this uh, deliberate confusion by the media, as I say, H1N1 uh, virus, H1N1 is the category that common flus come out of. And so many people have already rushed off to get what they thought was the swine flu one, because they're calling that the same one. They both come from the same category, without mentioning that this H1N1 slash 9, or 09 for broke breaking up in 2009 to differentiate the two. So those people who have rushed off to get the first one have to rush off and get the second. Uh, but in Canada, they found out that those who got the first one, the common flu ones, uh, are, are now possibly more prone uh, to catching swine flu and maybe definitely getting swine flu if they get the, the swine flu shot. So they're postponing it in Canada uh, to, to, until they either what they say is to do further testing which means until they can cover their ass and get more propaganda to say it's all okay to take but here's an article here from uh, it's from um, associated content is called dot com associated content it says here H1N1 flu mist this is the type to spray up your nose the nasal spray that keeps on giving uh, September the 23rd, it says, everyone has to be responsible for their own decisions. If you're afraid of catching the H1N1 flu this year, you may be pondering where to get a flu shot or using the H1N1 flu mist. 
the spray. The flu mist is administered into your nostrils. Before making your final decision, you may want to ask some questions and think of some consequences to taking the H1N1 flu mist nasal spray. The H1N1 flu mist is made with live virus. This means that the H1N1 flu will be a part of the nasal spray formula. It's supposed to be just enough to start your immunity to build defenses to it. How it works is it gives you the flu, and just like as if you caught the flu naturally, uh, then you'd have your antibody response to it, and now you'd be immune to it. So the technique of preventing the flu is to give you the flu, you see. Whereas the injection in your arm or wherever uh, is supposed to be a, a, a killed or attenuated virus, as they call it. It says, if you take the H1N1 flu mist, the nasal one, you will in fact become a carrier of the H1N1 flu. Information on this drug states that you can and will shed the virus for up to 21 days. That means as you're visiting with your elderly family members or shopping on the aisles of your grocery store or sitting in a church with young children, people with immune problems, you are going to be shedding the H1N1 germs all around, right? Which is true. Now remember I mentioned too that uh, they were given uh, two versions of the polio out in African countries recently uh, with the aid of the big foundations and the World Health Organization. And I read the article that now in Nigeria, uh, right after this, uh, they got the live virus ones in that area, they said it's cheaper to make, uh, they've now got a new, more rampant type of polio that they know has, they said has, has evolved from the laboratory virus that they, that they gave to the people. So they use you as a breeder and it mixes with your genes and, and different other viruses and a new super virus came out of it. That's what they've said. That's official. It's not a, it's not a conspiracy. It's official from the top. So here that I want to give the same technique using this for the flu using you as an incubator, you see, with a live virus uh, that they say themselves uh, will be, you'll be shedding it for 21 days at least, right? And this is from this other one. More information here is from uh, drugs.com website. Here's some of the, the indications before you take the flu mist. Do not use flu mist if you've ever had an allergic reaction to a flu vaccine or if you have a history of Guillain-Barr syndrome, especially if you've, you had it within six weeks after having a flu vaccine. See, you, get, you can get Guillain-Barr from the flu. I love the way it's worded. you got a history of Guillain-Barr, especially if you had it within six weeks after having a flu vaccine. So that's what gave you the Guillain-Barr. They know this. A weak immune system caused by a disease such as cancer, HIV, or AIDS, or taking certain medications such as, uh, they're talking about um, steroids for arthritis. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, going through the contraindications uh, for this 
opium into heroin in France, and you'll see why certain places like Marseille are always left alone, always have been. Anyway, getting back to the contrary, don't use flu mist if you've had an allergic reaction to a flu vaccine or have a history of growing bar syndrome, especially after a flu shot. <laughs> That's when you get it. A weak immune system caused by disease such as cancer, HIV or AIDS, or by taking certain medicines such as, I guess, as corticosteroids. If someone in your household has a weak immune system, I guess you've got to find out before all this. I'm sure they'll really ask you all this too, right, as, as they ram all these shots through one after another. Conveyor belt still. If you're under 18 years old and have recently taken aspirin or other similar medicines such as disulcid, Duan's pills, Dolabid, Solflax, Tricosol, and others, or if you're allergic to chicken or egg products. Before receiving flu mist, tell the doctor if you're allergic to any drugs or you've got a history of asthma or other lung disorders, a history of seizures, a neurological disorder or disease affecting the brain, or if this was caused as a reaction to a previous vaccine. So if you had damaged brain damage from a previous vaccine, it says here, you have to tell the, the, the doctor before you inject you with this new one that may cause it to get worse. A weak immune system caused by disease, bone marrow transplant, or by using certain medicines or receiving cancer treatments, or if you have used a flu medication such as Ozeltamivir, Tamoflu, or Zanamivir, Rolenza, within the past 48 hours. You can still receive a vaccine if you have a cold or fever. In the case of a more severe illness with a fever or any type of infection, wait until you get better before, before receiving the flu mist. Now listen to this. You've heard about the, the one pregnant women and everything to get it, right? Vaccines may be harmful to an unborn baby and generally should not be given to pregnant women. However, not vaccinating the mother could be more harmful to the baby if the mother becomes infected with a disease that this vaccine could prevent. <laughs> your, doctor will decide, your doctor will decide whether you should receive flu mist, especially if you have a high risk of infection with influenza. It's not known whether flu mist passes into breast milk or if it could harm a nursing baby. Do not use this medication without telling your doctor if you are breastfeeding a baby. Flu mist should not be given to anyone younger than two or older than 49 years of age. So, there you go. You know, and it's amazing how the government's exempted themselves and pharma from all the side effects and all the fallout from it. Uh, never mind the fact uh, that, that I read yesterday, they only look at the effects for, of these vaccines for 40 hours after. Any, any symptoms develop afterwards, well, that could be in it. If you drop dead because of some other reason, you see. Or that sudden onset of cancer, I call it the waiting room cancer, National Health Service waiting room cancer, apparently you develop when you're waiting for your shot in the waiting room, according to the British papers, when that little girl got a shot and dropped dead. That's where you wait for months sometimes in National Health Service uh, waiting rooms. Anyway, it's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. But they tell you, of course, it sheds and all the rest of it, and people around you can catch it and all, all that kind of stuff. Quite amazing, isn't it? And we've never seen such a media propaganda, uh, organized media propaganda outburst since 2001, when they all immediately said some guy in a cave somewhere was causing the world's problems, and we had to all give up all our rights and change the whole system and be watched and observed and, and all be potential suspects so that we could all be kept safe. So this is the same kind of incredible blitz, you see, coordinated blitz from the media who is, the media's part, it's an essential part of government, especially this world government, you know, this lovely utopia that they're going to bring in. 
And this article here, I've got to read it tonight because I've had it for a while. And uh, it was from, I think, Nexus magazine. It's uh, from a, a few years ago. Um, it says here, uh, vaccines, vaccine dangers and vested interests. And I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show. It says, um, it's written actually by a guy who worked on them, a doctor who worked on vaccines and so on. So the retired vaccine researcher goes public on what the pharmaceutical industry and the health authorities don't want us to know, that vaccines are unsafe, untested, and one of the greatest frauds of our time. Says how many, it says here, how many Americans really die of the flu each year? Now, here's, here's how propaganda works, and he goes through it. Ask the American Lung Association, better yet, read their own report from August 2004 titled Trends in Pneumonia and Influenza Morbidity and Mortality. This report comes from the Research and Scientific Affairs Epidemiology and Statistics Unit. At the bottom of the document, the source is listed as the National Center for Health Statistics Report of Final Mortality Statistics 1979-2001. to Get ready for some surprises, especially since the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, remember it's a military uh, operation, keeps trumpeting flu deaths annual numbers. And you hear this every year, 36,000 in the U.S. 36,000 die every year in the U.S., right? Like clockwork, he says, year in, year out, 36,000 people die in the U.S. from flu every year. Killer disease, watch out, get your flu shot. Every autumn, don't wait, you might fall over dead in the street. Here are the total influenza deaths from their own report from 1979 to 1995. The stats were released every two years. In 1979, it wasn't 36,000, no, it was 604. 1981, 3,006. 1983, 1,431. 1985, 2,054. 1987, 632. And he goes through all these little this low-down numbers with each year up to the year 2001, which only had 257 deaths. But it doesn't, doesn't matter. When it comes to propaganda for your shot, they keep shouting out, 36,000 die every year. He says, don't believe me, here is the main page, and he gives you the link to their own page, or where I've read this stuff. It's, and it's a PDF as well. It says, get there and go to page 9 of the document, then start scrolling down until you come to the chart for flu deaths as a separate category. Recently, Tommy Thompson, head of the U.S. Health and Human Services, stated that 91% of the people who die from the flu in the U.S. every year are 65 and older. So you might engage in a little arithmetic and figure out how many people under 65 are really dying from the flu each year. But no matter, the raw all-ages stats are low enough, quite low enough, quite, quite, he says. Do you see what's going on here? You can go into my archive and read recent pieces on the subject and find my argument for those who blithely claim, well, <clears throat> you see, uh, flu often leads to pneumonia, and that's why we have to be so careful about the flu. Deaths from pneumonia are in large numbers, <coughs> and so on. That's what he says here. It's a straight con, folks. The CDC is on a street corner with a little table, and there are shills walking around repeating the 36,000 death figure while the public relations flags at the table are working the vaccine angle. The crowd is getting restless. A man shouts, where's my flu shot? We're all going to die. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Congress is planning 
a measure that will guarantee vaccine manufacturers annual billion-dollar payoffs, no matter how many doses are left over unused. What a business, eh? What a business to be in. You're starting to say, now that a much clearer picture emerges of the low number of flu deaths in the U.S. each year, it's only natural to revisit the issue of vaccines. Minus the hysteria about high numbers of flu deaths and the pressing need to get the vaccine, what are we really dealing with? The answer is public relations. Propaganda is being used to artificially inflate flu statistics and thereby drive people into doctors' offices and clinics to get their shots. So what about vaccines? How safe and effective are they? By the way, a a few of the U.S. uh, states have recently admitted that the majority of people that were coming into their clinics or or their their doctor's offices for for, uh, possible flu were all reacting, reacting to the massive propaganda campaign, and so they're imagining they've got it. Well, what do you expect? It says here, how safe are the vaccines? I've long warned about the dangers of vaccines, especially for babies and young children whose immune systems are not capable of coping with the many contaminants and toxic preservatives in vaccines. There are other reasons why even adults should avoid them. Now, for the first time, a former insider from within the vaccine industry has agreed to talk about the dangers of vaccine. Dr. Mark Randall is a pseudonym of a former vaccine researcher who worked for many years in the laboratories of major pharmaceutical houses and the U.S. government's National Institutes of Health. He's now retired and has reluctantly agreed to speak out. In my opinion, his testimony matches all the other claims that I've studied in past years. Then he goes on with more and more incredible information. It's only incredible if you, if you truly have been brainwashed into believing all the fictional drama stuff on television. It's only incredible then. That's where it's incredible. <clears throat> I'll put this link up on my site. That was from February, March 2006 issue, nexusmagazine.com. Now, we've <clears throat> got a couple of callers here. I'll try and take them before the next uh, story I get into. Uh, the Sam and Iowa, there you are. There, Sam. Hello, Hello Sam. Tonight. Yes. Are we okay? Yes. I kind of have a bad phone, but uh, I'm calling from Iowa City, the uh, former abortion capital of the United States. But uh, I just wanted to kind of corroborate what you were saying at the beginning about the uh, police and the indoctrination that's going on yeah sorry i'm kind of nervous here but uh no anyway yesterday in the local paper there was this story and uh by the way this is a college town but uh yeah the local bars here um from now they're they're starting this program where they're going to be helping the police department because they say they're they're understaffed and they need help so Mm -hmm. Basically, the local bars are going to start funding the police department uh, so they can, uh, you know, police the campus. But uh, yes, yeah. And anyway. also, I read, read too. I think it was Iowa as well, where where, the, where some uh, so-called high-risk bars with occasional trouble uh, are, are putting in cameras that go straight to the police station. So the police can watch people having their, their drinks uh, to, to uh, prevent um, upsets in the bar if they get too drunk and so on. So, so continue anyway. Continue what you're saying. And yeah. Anyway, absolutely. But uh, 
you know the crazy thing is that they're they're the bars are paying them overtime wages. Yes. And uh, you know because they're working late at night. Yeah. But uh, they they say that their with their wages are fixed and they're these guys are earning fifty five dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, well, it's great. It, it, the policing is a great business. You just see the right. incredible overtime they go into whether regarding some jewelry store on a special sales day or something or whatever, they're, they're all raking in the cash, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just stuck because these bar owners are saying that they want to continue this indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, this is a college town, so there's no oh, shortage yeah. of uh, drunkards. So, but, big, uh, big business there, big business, yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. But uh, just one more anecdote uh, story from... Uh, I, I just found out that in my my local my hometown, excuse me, in the, the high school over there, yeah. starting this year, um, they've also got this program there where basically they're um, sectioning off the freshmen. The, all the all the freshmen have their classes in the basement now, mm-hmm. a, away from the uh, the other grades. Yes, but uh, so yeah, I just I just thought that was really interesting. They're uh, you know, starting to separate us all now, separate society. And, yes, uh, yeah. Well, it was, again, too, the, 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 the separation of generations is very important, especially right now, because those who are coming in right now have had the, the greatest uh, primary indoctrination into the next phase, the greening, the cutbacks, and all the rest of it. Uh, they don't want to, uh, someone who's older with uh, an older version of programming to give them uh, their idea of, of the cons that are going on. Right, but yeah, it's just the incrementalism is crazy because I mean, if they can start sectioning up people grade by grade, then pretty soon it's going to be, you know, individual by individual, and uh, yeah, it's just really, it's really crazy. It's all true, you know. That's right. But, uh, you see, they used the same technique, and that was so imperative. They said uh, in the communist uh, regime that they'd have to separate the generations, starting with grandma, grandpa. Uh, parent to child and separate each one. In fact, they even created the, the word teenager, which didn't exist before, to, to try and get people to think, I'm different from them. I'm, I'm a teenager. This is my generation. Uh, right. So that was all part of it, too, because the older folk might contaminate, and that's the terms they used, uh, the younger ones with their new programming with old-fashioned ideas. So now they're, they're doing the same thing through universities, too, not just uh, in Iowa, but other places as well. Yeah. Yeah, just crazy. But, uh, yeah, if I could just mention one more story here. I was rereading an old article from, uh, this is from an Australian news outside, mm-hmm. outfit, I mean. Um, but the title of the article is Boffins Create Zombie Dogs. Have you oh, heard yeah. about this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, this article was written in June of 2005, and they say in here that within a year they're going to start, uh, testing this reanimation technology on humans. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that and, you know, what they might possibly use this technology for. Is this just a way to uh, further dehumanize and devalue human life? Yeah, everything that's going on right now is to devalue human life. In fact, most entertainment is devaluing human life. Even the CSI program was brought out with that. You know, a, a corpse now is just a stiff, you know. Yeah. And there's no, there's, there's no person involved anymore. It's just a stiff, it's just flesh there. Then you can cut them up and, and toss things in the weighing machine and all the rest of it. Uh, this is all part through entertainment of dehumanization. But yes, going back to the Huxleys and all the rest of them, they talked about ways of um, altering the human brain. Um, other authors 
uh, such as Arthur Kostler, worked with the United Nations on ways to eliminate that part of the brain that made you a distinct individual, claiming that it would cause world peace. And they actually had different teams working on different ways of lobotomizing that specific part of the brain for world peace. And his last chapter, called, the book's called The Ghost in the Machine, the last chapter, he, he actually validates and, and is all for this idea for world peace. When we hear world peace, you understand what they mean by world peace. They want a, a kind of zombified, placid, contented society uh, so they can manage us much better. Free will is an awful problem when you're a tyrant and you've got the world planned and the future planned. People with other ideas are an awful nuisance, so you've got to stop that. And, and so this is all part of it, too. They talked about chemical lobotomy as well. Uh, they also talked about introducing it with the needle by a warfare created where it could be carried on certain enzymes and different um, things that go to the brain, this uptaken by the brain cells to that particular area. It was that perfect back in the 60s and 70s, this technique of, of specific local lobotomization through chemical means. This is all part of it, so you're quite right, yeah, it is. I'm back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, uh, just going through some of the, the streetwise views of reality. That's what we have to be, streetwise, to know what's really going on. And it's simple tactics to do, with, say, with inoculations and so on. It's very easy. Just terrify the public. Uh, a war of terror, that's what we're living through, one after another, war of terrors. Create massive fear and panic, and people rush off to get the shots. That's a very simple technique, isn't it? Very simple. But it's, it's, it's done from the top, the top down. They have other reasons for this, not just the big bucks, which are guaranteed of. And there's a lot of money, believe you me, there's a lot of big bucks passing to politicians' hands because that's how it's done. That's what lobbying is all about. That's what lobbying is all about. Why do you think it's there? Gentlemen's agreements. Oh, I, I believe in your product, Sam. Uh, I'll ram that through, yeah. Do you think that's what's up? No, it's done through payoffs. Payoffs. But they have nefarious reasons, long-term agendas. It fits in with a depopulation plan. All the nasty stuff they can't tell the children, and we are the children at the bottom, you see. Now, we'll go to Charles in Toronto. You're there, Charles. Hi, Alan. It's uh, Charles in Toronto. Very rainy Toronto, much like uh, Sudbury, I guess. But, yes, uh, it's been raining I'm building an arc right now, in fact. Yeah. Yes, it, we're, we're starting to float. Um, I, I wanted to thank you for all the uh, work that you do. It's really helped me. I've uh, I realized one has to be outraged at what they're doing, but one cannot become enraged because that destroys your equilibrium, and yes. uh, you can't talk to other people about it if that's the case. Or it's very, you know, you'll drive people away. So yep. it's a it's a growth process we have to go through, and it's uh, you know almost like accepting death in a way. You just uh -huh. have to uh, balance one out. I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, do you know of or have you mentioned a, a document that was written in the early 20th century uh, pertaining to uh, the New World Order talking about uh, the three world wars? Um, how, I, I've, I've, yeah, I've mentioned, uh, supposedly in a way, it was, it was put out by, um, actually in the 1800s, yeah. uh, by Albert Pike, 
Now, as far as I know, it's the early books around the 1920s to the 30s to the, to the Second World War used to show photographs of it. It was kept in the Museum of London. Really? And then during the World War II, uh, they, they moved everything supposedly for, for safe storage from the bombing and the blitz. And when stuff came back, a lot of other stuff uh, happened to be absent. Yes. So until you get the old books that had the photographs of them uh, under the glass there and so on, yeah, it's, it's, now it's down to speculation, because unless you've got the proof, you just don't know. <laughs> right, because that would be a great document to show any disbeliever. Uh, if, but, but you can go into the writings of H.G. Wells, who talks yep. about the need for a world war. Okay. And he did, right after World War I, he wrote another book, and he, he said it's not enough. The public haven't given up their sovereignty, their right to be ruled by the experts, so we need another war, he said, another world yes. war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've also mentioned that uh, the Beatles' uh, work was uh, largely commissioned by people other than them, um, and a lot of the music industry, if not all of it, has uh, is uh, put together for uh, propaganda purposes. I've always been a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, and I know that you have his song at the beginning of your show. Is he part of that, too? Well, with all uh, musicians that are put to the top, uh, if you start with groups and bands, they're always going to give you a persona. Yes. Uh, and they build up uh, through propaganda. Of course, it's propaganda, an image, uh, a style. That, that's you. You're the working man with the sleeves rolled up yes. and the pointed boots on. You know, yeah. uh, that, that was given to him, too. You just don't do all that yourself. And yes. even the direction of your music, again, will be to cater to a certain uh, audience or even a class of audience. Yes. Uh, so, so, yeah, Theo Adorno had the copyrights of all the Beatles songs right up until he died. Mm -hmm. Paul McCartney tried to get a hold of it after he died, it went for auction, but uh, it was um, uh, it was the guy that died, Michael Jackson, who beat him to it. He, so he owns, presently owned the rights. It's still up. He's still in his family right now. That'll be going up for auction again soon, and I bet Paul McCartney will try and get it back again. <laughs> you wait and see. But from Hamish myself in Canada, it's good nights, and may your God or your gods go with you.